in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. One of the first things that we want to... Now, this may be a little different for you, but Joy's going to continue to play. Don't think that she's just forgot to sit down. <laughs> One of the things that happens to us in, in Christendom is that we get... We, it's so easy for us to get into religion. And uh, we call it here churchdom. Just like I mentioned earlier about the Easter bunny and uh, the colored eggs. We do, there's so many things that come across our path and through our traditions that diminish the awesome Word of God. And we have a way of thinking that is not in line with God's way of thinking. That's why we must change the way we think. That's what the very word repent means, change the way you think. For instance, we all think because of our culture that, that the morning or the day starts in the morning and it's over in the evening. God's way of thinking is that He starts in the evening and ends in the, the morning. How do we know this? Well, let's go back to the book of Genesis. You don't have to turn there. We're going to talk for a second. It says, in the evening and the morning was the... Not the morning and the evening. It says, the evening and the morning was the first day. And the evening and the morning was the second day. See, a lot of times when we think... See, we'll be seeing things as the ending, really, when God's just beginning. When it's the darkest is when God is really moving the most. <laughs> Some of you get that in a second. So we need to change the way we think. For years, uh, I, I know for me personally, this, this message this week and next week, it's a two-part series. Uh, they are complete within themselves, but you've got to have both of them together to really hear. This message is called From Gate to Gate. You'll hear some information today and next week that will literally, if you let revelation, let the Holy Spirit come to you, it will literally change the way you see Easter. Palm Sunday. See, we take it so for granted. It's just a thing on the calendar. Who, most of us just worried about, well, whose house are we going to eat at? That's like the big decision of the holiday. Who are we going to see this time? But see, for thousands, I'll put it this way, for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, the children of Israel performed a ritual. They had all kinds of things to do, you know, different types of events and, 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 and uh, feasts and all types of ceremonies. And the greatest or the most, the, the king or the, 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 the top of the number one is, was called Passover. Once a year, they had Passover. Everything was geared around the Passover, but it wasn't the end of a season. Passover was the beginning of a season. Okay? Now, Palm Sunday, I've been involved with the services that have the palm, and we talk about the palm, people laying their, their clothes in the palm leaves. And but, but it's just like, well, it's the same old, same old, same old. Every, let me tell you what. I literally, I started reading in the Word, and I asked the Holy Spirit, the great teacher, to begin to teach me things that I didn't know. I said, there's got to be more about this than what I know. And he began to color in the dot to dot. Instead of just having an outline to what happened, he began to make it 3D. He, made, he began to make it come alive. And my prayer this morning is that I can somehow communicate what he has shown me about this event that will make it so real to you like it has for me. So let's turn into the scripture real quickly. Now there's going to be a lot of scripture that we turn to. Uh, a lot of it we're just going to allude to because you know what it is. You've heard it for years. But we're just going to begin to color in the scripture and hopefully make it come alive. Turn with me to the book of Luke. Luke chapter 19.
And I'm going to read this first passage of Scripture, and we're going to go back and talk about a lot of it. Luke chapter 19, verse 29, And it came to pass, when he drew near to Bethpage and Bethany, at the mount called Olivet, that he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village opposite you. Whereas you enter, uh, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever set. Loose it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, Why are you loosing it? Thus you shall say to him, Because the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away, went their way, and found it just as he said to them. But as they were loosing the colt, the owner of it said to them, Why are you loosening the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of him. Then they brought him to Jesus, and they threw their clothes on the colt, and they set Jesus on him. And as he went, many spread their clothes on the road. Then as he was, now drawing near to the descent of the Mount of Olive, the whole multitude, say the whole multitude, of the disciples began to rejoice and praising God with a loud voice, for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees called to Him from the crowd, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But He, said, uh, but he answered and said to them, I tell you the uh, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. Now, as he drew near, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, If you had known, even you especially in this day, your day, the things that make for your peace. Now, let's go back and talk about some of this. What we see here is that Jesus is coming in to Jerusalem. What we need to understand is that all of history, all of mankind from Genesis all the way up until now is leading to this point. This just isn't a descent into Jerusalem. Everything in history at this point in time is accumulating, coming together. It's funneled. All the prophetic words of all the past are coming together at this very point in time. Notice it says that the priest asked the Jesus, or told Jesus to tell his disciples to be quiet. Were the priests part of the followers of Christ? Didn't it say that the multitude or the followers of Christ began to say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord? But the priests were there. But see, in the book of Matthew it says the whole city came out. In the book of John, it said Jew, uh, Greeks who wanted to be Jew or followed Judaism. They were Judaizers. Jew, uh, Greeks came. So in the book of John, it says Greeks were there. The book of Matthew says all the city was out. It just wasn't the followers of Jesus laying down a few things in Jesus' way, giving us something to talk about Palm Sunday. What we need to understand is that Passover, the season of Passover... All of the Jewish calendar rotated around this one event, this one season called Passover. For hundreds of years, they would all gather outside the city and welcome in the Passover lamb that was going to be slain in the temple. That's the first thing the Holy Ghost showed me. Why were the Pharisees upset that Jesus was getting attention? Because right in front of Jesus was the Passover lamb that was coming into the temple to be slain once a year for all the children of Israel's sins. For hundreds of years, you know what they said outside the city of Jerusalem when the Passover lamb comes in? Take a guess what 
the high priest, the priest, and all the people said year after year after year after year, Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Was the exact verbiage and words that they used to welcome in the little lamb that was going to be sacrificed. And, behind, and, it, and Jesus' disciples were making so much noise about Jesus, our lamb. Because they were saying it to Jesus. And this wasn't... See, Jesus is our lamb. Jesus is our sacrifice. See, not all, see it just wasn't just something that happened. All of history rotates around their, their traditions. Jesus was literally there at the same time the Passover lamb was coming in the eastern gate. And they were saying the same thing about Jesus as they were supposed to be saying about the Lamb. This is kind of cool here. It says this in that same passage of Scripture, verse 38. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Notice it says King. What does a king have? A kingdom. We won't even get into that. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. That almost sounds like Luke chapter 2. When there were shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over the flock by night. And the angels, the multitude of angels shouted from heaven to earth. Glory to God in the... And on earth, peace. So as Jesus was coming into this earth, Heaven declared peace. As he was leaving the earth, the multitudes on earth were declaring peace in. Oh, come on. Come on, church. Jesus literally wept because they didn't know the day of their salvation. They didn't understand what really was taking place at this time. And this process we're going to talk about this morning, it's all introduction until we get to the book of Colossians. Turn with me to the book of Luke, chapter 22. Now what you're going to see as we begin to unfold this and color in the lines and connect the dots is that everything that the Passover lamb went through every year Jesus went through exactly see for three days the Passover lamb got inspected to find if there was any fault or anything wrong questions were asked about it it was inspected it was looked over you know what happened after Jesus entered the gate P questions begin to come up People begin to ask him questions, begin to trick him. Let me jump ahead real quick just to show you how this works. After the Passover lamb is inspected and deemed to be clean, you know what the high priest says? You know what he literally says with his mouth? I find no fault in him. You know what they said about Jesus when he was inspected, surveyed? Pilate said, I find no fault. Do you think Pilate went to Jewish school to learn how to say those things? Or do you think maybe God set up this whole thing and was waiting for one moment in eternity for this all to come to pass? One moment, one instant. Matter of fact, there is some of this information I'm going to share with you this morning and next week. 
that there's some people believe, and I'm one, of, I'm one of those some people, that some of the things that happened to Jesus happened at the exact same moment in time. That happened to Jesus had it to pass over loud. You can't get away from this. This is so awesome to realize that Jesus went through exactly what the Passover lamb did. Verse 7, Luke chapter 22. Then came the day of unleavened bread when the Passover must be killed. And he sent Peter and John saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat. Now see, this is literally, you know, we just read past this because we're Americans. We really don't understand what this is talking about. This, this is a, a little guidebook. Um, it's written in Hebrew with English. Okay. Um, Uh, this is called a Haggadah, and it literally is what Jesus was actually doing at this point in time. He told his disciples to go and find a place that they can have the Passover meal. That meal is called the Seder meal. Anybody ever hear the word the Seder meal before? Okay. Well, there's 15 steps in the Seder meal. Every step led you closer, closer to a revelation of God. And all their customs and things that they did it led them closer into a revelation of God. This little book here is, a, is just a... Uh, it's, it's helped people like me understand what takes place in a Seder meal. But some of the steps within the Seder meal are crucial. They're all, they're, there's four times when a cup is lifted. And so when Jesus said, go prepare a place for the Passover meal, He said, go prepare a place for the Seder meal. Now, in that Seder meal, let me just go ahead and read this. In the Seder meal, it, it says this. It says, And he sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat. Now jump down here to verse 14. When the hour had come, notice it says hour. Everything is to a moment in time. Day, hour, and even to a second. And when the hour had come, he sat down... Uh, and the twelve apostles with him. Then he said to them, With fervent desire, I desire to eat this Passover, or the Seder, with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the... of God. Then he took the cup and gave thanks. And he said, This is the cup. He says, take this cup and divide it among yourselves. See, that's not the cup of communion. It is the first cup within the Seder meal. It's how they started the Seder meal. The fourth cup in the Seder meal is the cup they called the cup of redemption. We're going to learn in just a second. That's the one he held up and passed out that we use for communion. But we need to understand there's a process. After this first cup is, is held up like the third step, this is a matzotosh. This literally is, is technical. In America, in English, we would call it a matzah holder. <laughs> it's called a matzotosh, but it's made this way. This way it's been made for years. But there's three different compartments in here. And there's specific instructions on how this was made. And no compartment was supposed to touch one another, but it's all one. So if you have three compartments, what do you have represented here? God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. They would take matzah. This is matzah. Anybody ever seen matzah before? Now, if you can see that, I don't know if you can see through it, but if you hold this up, you'll see that it's pierced. There's holes in it. This is the way God intended for them. God planned for them to make it this way. 
They would put a piece of matzah into one compartment. They would take another piece of matzah and put it into another compartment. They would take another piece of matzah and put it into the third compartment. They would take out the middle matzah. This, this is done for hundreds of years. Hundreds of years. The head of the household would take the, the middle matzah out. And see, this is what Jesus was doing in what we just read about the dinner or the supper that he wouldn't take. He said, see, the way this is made, it's unleavened. There's no, there's no yeast in it. It's pierced. It's stripes. See the stripes in it? So when Jesus said, held this up, and, and what they've said, for, this is what the master, the head of the household says this. And they do it every, for hundreds of years. When Jesus said, this is my body, and it's, See, within the very traditions of the Jewish people, God was trying to show them about the Messiah. Jesus said, this is my body, which is broken. Within the ceremony, within the Seder meal, this is linen. They would put it into linen. They wrap it in linen. They got zippers now. What did they do with Jesus' body? They wrapped it in linen. Jesus said this is his body, which was broken. They wrap it in linen, and the head of the household, he will take it, and he'll put it someplace easy to find. It's, this is all symbolic. The children then would go around and try to find this. And when they found it, do I? When they found this, they brought it back to the father that hid it. And the process that they call this, they come up to the head of the household, they said, said, this says, aha, I have found this. Now give unto me the promise of the father. Now that I have this, what does it say in the book of Acts? that Jesus told his disciples to go and wait for? Once you got Jesus or something else, it's called the promise of the Father. Being filled with the Holy Spirit and endued with power was in the customs of the Jewish people for hundreds of years. The promise of the Father, the kingdom. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. To have a kingdom, you got to have a king. Amen. You're not ready. You're not ready. You're going to get it anyway. You, you know what the head of the household gives the children? Once they return this once a year, gifts. <laughs> he gives them gifts. What do we receive when you receive the Holy Spirit? <laughs> gifts. Where's my Bible? <laughs> this is too cool. Verse 15. Then he said to them, with fervent desire, I have desire to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I will no longer eat of this until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took the cup and gave thanks. And he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread and gave thanks and broke it. That's just what we did. And gave it to them saying... This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, 
He also took the cup after supper. This is the last cup, the cup of redemption. This cup is the cup of the new covenant in my blood, which was shed for you. In the process of the, the Passover and the Seder meal, everybody's leaning on their left arm. They're not sitting in a chair like their custom is that they lean on their left arm and they hold up a chalice or they hold a, a king will always make a declaration with their right hand. You ever hear the right arm of the Lord, that phrase? Because it's a declaration. And so all this was done with them leaning on one side on their arm, holding up. When Jesus said, this cup is the cup of the new covenant, he was making a declaration of something that was about ready to take place. Something was about ready to take place that was going to change all humanity. Look at verse 6, uh, look over at verse uh, 41. After this period of time, this is when Jesus gets led out and they go to the garden. And we know the story. He's got His disciples there. He's, he's praying. He's asked them to pray with Him. They, they go to sleep. He begins to pray. He begins to pray so intensely. Jump down to 44. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. Then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. In the book of Revelation, it says that we overcome the enemy by the blood of the Lamb and the words of our testimony. See, most churchdom teaches that the blood of Jesus Christ was poured out at Calvary. In the Jewish culture, the priests, when they go into the, the altar, they sprinkle the blood seven times on the altar. You know why? Because seven times Jesus spilt His blood once at Calvary and six before this. The first time he spilt his blood was in the garden. He shed drops of blood from his brow. It literally, see the blood redeems. The blood redeems. Literally, Jesus overcame his own will. He said, not my will, but yours be done. Literally through the blood of Christ. See, Jesus spilt His blood seven times in this process. We're going to jump ahead real quick. You know another time He spilt His blood? When the Roman centurion built a crown of thorns and shoved the thorns in his head. Blood covered the thorns. You're saying, so what? That's because we've just been in church too long. What was the first manifestation of the ground being cursed in the book of Genesis chapter 4? The blood of Jesus redeemed the earth, covered the first manifestations of the cursed ground. The first manifestation of the cursed ground was thorns, and the blood redeemed them.
I'm not very good with notes, so I'm going to forget them. When people would bring their offerings to be sacrificed, the head of the household would lay his hands on the head, whether it was a turtle dove or whatever, and transfer the sins of that family onto what was being sacrificed. Do you notice nowhere in the Bible did the Jewish people, the high priest, or anybody lay their hands on Jesus' head? Who were the only people that touched the head of Jesus? The Roman centurions, when they set the crown. Now see, if the Jewish people, the high priest, would have laid their hands on the head of Jesus, they would have transferred the sins of the Jewish people. But because the Romans touched the head of Jesus, who represented the whole world, their kingdom was the whole world. They transferred the sins of the whole world. Because everything was subject to Rome. See, the Passover lamb, the high priest would lay their hands on the head of the lamb and transfer the sins of the Jewish people. The Roman centurions laid their hands and transferred the sins of the whole world. Mm. see everything that the lamb went through Jesus went through the lamb had been doing this for years waiting for the final sacrifice to be complete in the book of Psalms it says that gave him instructions that the the horns that the, the, the lamb should be strapped to the horns of the altar. And that's why Jesus was just not nailed to the cross, but he was strapped by cords to the horns of the cross. Everything that was done was that to the lamb was done to Jesus. Not only did the priest say, I find no fault, to the lamb, and Pilate said the same thing. But when the priest takes the knife and cuts the throat and sheds the blood of the Passover lamb, you know what he says? It is What did Jesus say with his last breath? For hundreds of years, hundreds and hundreds of years, the priest said, it is finished. Until the next year. Jesus. Everybody just say Jesus. Come on. Now part of this sir, part of this message is going to overlap into uh, next week's and part of next week's is going to overlap into this. See, I believe, along with some other people, that when the priest did this, at the exact same moment, Jesus did this. Not an hour later, the very moment. The Bible tells us that the veil of the temple was ripped from top 
to bottom. The veil of the temple was so, anywhere from 60 to 90 feet tall and from 6 to 9 inches thick. How did they know it ripped from top to bottom? Because somebody was in there doing this while Jesus was doing this. Mm. Mm. God's an awesome God. Seven times he sprinkled his blood. We're not going to get into those seven. <laughs> Let's go back a little bit in verse 66. As soon as it was day, the elders, this is in chapter 22, Luke. As soon as it was day, the elders of the people, both chief priests and scribes, came together and led him unto their council, saying, If you are the Christ, tell us. But he said to them, If I tell you, you will by no means believe. And if I also ask you, you will by no means answer me or let me go. Hereafter the Son of Man will sit at the right hand of the power of God. Down in verse 4 in verse chapter 23, that's where it says, So Pilate said to the chief priest and the crowd, I find no fault in him. Now the important thing about this passage of Scripture The whole issue here that the priests were having is that Jesus, they were declaring or saying that Jesus was saying that he was the king of the Jews. Remember what we talked about earlier about the kingdom? I won't drink of this fruit or this vine until the kingdom comes. What do you have to have for a kingdom? You have to have a king. What have we been talking about on Wednesday night? On Sunday mornings, kingdom. Turn with me to the book of John, chapter 19. <laughs> Verse 19. Now Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross. Now let me go back to First 13. When Pilate therefore heard the saying, he brought Jesus out and sat down into the judgment seat. Where did he sit? In a judgment seat. In a place that was called the pavement, but the Hebrew, Garbatha. Now it was that the preparation day of the Passover, and about the sixth hour, and he said to the Jews, Behold your king. But they cried out, Away with him. See, they didn't like that. Away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? Now what was Pilate saying? He was declaring that this was their king. Who did Pilate represent? Pilate represented all of Rome. It went to Pilate, to Herod, to Caesar. The chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. Then he delivered him to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus and led him away. Look at verse 19. Now Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross. And the writing was, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Now most of us just stop right there and don't read anymore. But just read what the Bible says. 
Then many of the Jews read this title, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. Therefore the chief of the, the, the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews. But he said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. So let it be said, so let it be done. Pilate in authority from Caesar, declared Jesus to be king of a kingdom. Mm. In the book of John, chapter 12, don't turn there, but it says, If I be lifted up, I'll draw all people. But if you look that up, and if you can, if you turn there real quickly, but... The word people is italicized. It's, it's, it's put in there. Whenever you see that, that means man, the interpreters have put that in there, but it wasn't in the original text. If you leave that in context, it says, If I be lifted up, I draw all judgment unto me. So when Jesus went to the cross, He took on all the judgment of man. Matthew 27, verse 40. And saying, you who destroy the temple and build it in three days, you yourself, if you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. Let me say this again. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. Does that sound familiar? The very first message I shared in this church, the very first time I spoke, was out of the book of Matthew chapter 3 and chapter 4. The first temptation of Jesus Christ was that it wasn't to turn the rock into bread. It was to doubt who He was or prove who He was. The Scripture says, if you be the Son of God, do something to prove it. He could have turned it, we talked about, could have turned it into roast beef. It wasn't about Him breaking a law. It was about Him doing something to prove who He was. The second temptation was this. If you be the Son of God, do something to prove it. All the temptations Jesus went through was to get Him to prove who He was by what He did. He never proved what, who He was by what He did, but what He did proved who He was. In the book of Luke, this same passage of Scripture says that Satan left for a more opportune time. When do you think the more opportune time was? Jesus hanging on the cross. The Roman centurion looks up and says, If you be the Son of God, do something to prove it. He could have called 10,000 angels. It even goes on to say that if he would have proved it, they would have believed it. God is looking for people who believe him, not because of the outside, by what they see, but because of what they know on the inside. See, Jesus fulfilled all the law of the Old Covenant, including the very ceremonial law. He portrayed, he, he fulfilled the role of the, the Passover lamb. He fulfilled the role of the high priest. He is our king. He is our all in all. Now, turn with me to the book of Colossians. Remember, that was just introduction. The book of Colossians. Chapter 2. You ever wonder why there were three crosses? 
Just a little side note. We're not going to share on it today. But do you think it was by accident there were three crosses? Mm, I haven't thought about that before, have you? There are three crosses for a reason. There are three different things that hung on a cross that day. Chapter 2, book of Colossians, verse 11. In him you were also uh, circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcisions of Christ, buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. And you being dead in your trespasses, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made us alive together with him, having forgiven you all your trespasses. How did he do this? Having wiped out the handwriting of the requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and which he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. There was something contrary to us. There was something that was in our way. Got the picture? And whatever it was, He nailed it to the cross. He took it out of the way. See, for years there was something keeping people from a personal relationship with God. It was called the veil of the temple. The veil of the temple was a symbol of the law. The law was keeping people from an intimate, personal relationship with God. They were written requirements. In the book of 2 Corinthians it says that they were written and engraved in stone. There was only one thing that was written and engraved in stone. And because of the law, it kept us separate from God. It kept us from having an intimate, personal relationship with. It kept us from experiencing the very life of God outside of rules and regulations. Jesus came to set us free from rules and regulations by fulfilling and completing all of the rules and regulations of the old covenant. Here's a question. How far did God take what was in our way out of our way? I really didn't expect anybody to jump up with the answer. How far? Do you think he just said, well, well just, just squeak through. I'm going to introduce you to a scripture. Oh, let us see. Turn with me to the book of Joshua. Joshua chapter 3. Again, the children of Israel. You know, we can always look back. Everything that they did, God was trying to show themselves. He was trying to show himself to them. The children of Israel came up to the Jordan River after being loosed from, from 430 years of bondage and slavery. See, the very Passover event was when the blood was shed on the doorpost and the lintel, the top part of the door, and the death angel passed over. It's a type of salvation by the blood from Pharaoh and his forces and his bondage. And they were passed over. That's why they call it the Passover. It's a time of celebration. It's a time of... See, Christians just look at Easter as a, uh, communion as being something that's somber and communion to me is a time of rejoicing it's a time of being happy because I'm not looking at the past I'm looking at the future so the children of Israel as they walk into the desert they come up to the promised land there's the promised land 
that God has told them that it's theirs. There it is. All the promises of God, all the provision of God, all the life of God, everything that God wanted them to have is right there in the promised land. They don't have to do anything to make it happen. It's just there for them to live in, but they can't get there because there's something contrary. There's something against them. There's something in their way. Let's call the Jordan. And they, can't, they don't believe that they can get across the other side. They don't believe in the promised land. So they walk out into the wilderness until they come up to the Jordan again. This time, they don't have a lack of faith. This time, they have faith. This time, they believe. And this is where the story picks up. Listen to what it says here. In Joshua chapter 3. Verse 14. So it was when the people set out from their camp to cross over the Jordan with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people. See, the Ark of the Covenant always went before the people. Verse 15. And as those who bore the Ark came to the Jordan and the feet of the priest who bore the Ark dipped in the edge of the river, the water from the Jordan overflows from the banks during the whole time of harvest. So it was in flood stage. That the waters which came down from upstream stood still and rose in a heap very far away. Stop right there. So what we have is the picture of the, the ark going out into the river in flood stage. But as they begin to walk out into the river, the river begin to pile up. The river's coming from this way. It began to pile up. It stopped the flow. And the Bible says it's the Dead Sea's over here. That's where it goes off. From death all the way to some place. There was some place that the water stopped. It piled up at one place. The Bible says that as the children of Israel passed by the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, which is type and shadow of the cross and Calvary and Jesus. See, now we're looking back at the cross. But they were walking past the cross for the or past the covenant for the first time. They walked across through dry ground. All the water was moved back. The scripture, check your Bible, says that the water was piled up all the way back to a town called. I don't know about you. Wait a minute. How far did God, whatever, whatever was in our way, whatever was keeping us from intimate, personal, what happened to Eve? Where was the first law given? In the garden! With a man called! Where was Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane? What was it called? A garden. Where was Adam? Jesus referred to as the second. God just didn't remove the law a little bit. What was contrary to us and in our way, he removed it from the Dead Sea all the way back to Adam in the garden. So we could have free access to a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Free from rules and regulations, free from any rituals, free from any form of religion. No matter what denomination it's called. See, Jesus came to establish. He didn't come to end something. He, became, he came to begin something. Yes, there was an end to the old covenant, but He began a new covenant, a new kingdom as King. He is the King of and Lord of. And see, kings and lords reign over a kingdom. Hmm. And 
if you find that kingdom and Lord, or that king and Lord, there's something called the promise of the Father that will endue you with power and give you understanding to walk in and live in within this kingdom that just was first established at Calvary. Because whatever was in our way before that, the scripture says that He took out of the way what was contrary to us. When you get in a current, you ever try to go across the river in flood stage? It's contrary. See, see, there's a promised land for us, church. It's called, all the promises of God are yes and amen. Most of us are still trying to get healing when in the kingdom there's a promise of divine health. A life that you can live where you don't get sick. Don't ever look at Calvary. Don't ever look at, at what Jesus went through Palm Sunday. Next week, there's a word that you're going to hear called the Apec Duomai. Has anybody ever heard of the Apec Duomai? Please, somebody raise your hand. If not, that's fine. You'll hear about it. You just heard about it, but we're going to explain the Apec Duomai. This message, this series is called From Gate to Gate, What Jesus Accomplished from This Gate All the Way to the Heavenly Gate. Book of Ephesians says that we need to be aware that He at first, that for He that ascended first descended. Do you know what happened when He descended? <laughs> Let me show you how this works. When the priest takes the blood from the Passover lamb and takes it to the altar, it has to be taken to the altar, he is what is called in separation, or he's set apart. He's carrying the blood. If anybody approaches him, you know what he says? Don't touch me. For I have yet ascended unto the Father. He's been saying this for hundreds of years. What did Jesus say when Mary tried to embrace him? Don't touch me, for I have yet ascended unto the Father. Oh. I'm sorry, but there's just too much in there not to talk about it. Everybody stand. Don't ever think that Easter. Next time someone says Happy Easter to you, after next week, you know what you're going to do? You're going to laugh. What do you mean, Happy Easter? It's a time of total, radical jubilation. Jesus came into the eastern gate. They shouted with a loud voice, Blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord. It is an example of how He wants to be worshipped. They said it over and 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 over. It wasn't first verse, second verse, last verse and go home. It was something that was being declared in the heavenlies. We need to learn how to worship. The Bible shows us, gives us examples. I really hope and pray that after next week, Easter Sunday, you'll see some things that Jesus did that will change your life forever. Because this morning, hopefully you learned that what was in our way from a personal relationship with God was moved out of the way because Jesus fulfilled everything he just didn't break the law. He fulfilled it, the scripture said.
He was the Lamb. He was the High Priest. And He is our King and our Lord. Amen. Next week, remember the word, Apek Duamai. You will never forget it. You'll never forget it. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for this opportunity you've given me this morning to bring your word forth. There's just so much. There's just so much. To know that you set all this in order for this one specific moment in time that all of the past funneled to this one point. That everything, that this was the event of all events. Holy Spirit, I pray that you'll teach us during the week that you'll teach us during the week, that we'll meditate on your word. We'll think about some things. We'll go back and read your word. We'll read it again for the first time. Bring revelation to us, Holy Spirit. Prepare our hearts for next week. May we understand that this isn't the end, but this truly is the beginning. And all God's people said, Amen and Amen. Hallelujah.